Brussels Bytes, a podcast about technology, digital society and European policy. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Dimitar Lilkov. Hi friends and welcome back to Brussels Bytes. Summer is approaching and the EU capital is buzzing with activity and anxiety as institutions are advancing with their work on many legislative files. And talking about buzz, AI and its future regulation has been one of the topics that has galvanized the media and the general public as well. I promise that this podcast episode is not another conversation about ChatGPT and our struggle to keep our jobs in the future. Today we'll be talking about something much more tangible and hopefully much more impactful. What is the role of AI in healthcare? What is at stake when we talk about innovation in this extremely important sector? And how should policymakers address AI regulation in order to guarantee societal interests? We are recording this episode in early July as the EU institutions are preparing the final work for the upcoming trialogues on the AI Act. And joining us today is a small task force of experts who give us great insights from different angles and hopefully some inspirational topic as well. Joining us live from Edinburgh, Scotland is Gordon Johnston, who is a senior manager for digital health and innovation at Johnson & Johnson. Also joining us today is Sanziana Negrano, JNJ Associate Director for Regulatory Policy in the EU, focusing on future digital and AI legislation. A pharmacist by trade, Sanziana is currently based in Brussels. And last but not least, is Angel Martin, who leads the advocacy on digital policies for J&J, including the European Health Data Space and the AI Act. Thank you, everybody, for joining us in this important conversation. And I want to kick off with, uh, with Gordon. Gordon, can you please lead us through the conversation and kick us off? Um, what should we know when we talk about AI in healthcare? What's, what's the promise? What's the potential um, in, in this sector? Um, and why should be why should be excited about developments in the future? Great question, Dimitar, and uh, thanks again for the invitation. Uh, if I can promise the audience, I'll, I'll try and keep you know it's a simple question, so I'll try and keep uh, the, the heavy technical stuff uh, out of my answer as much as possible. So there are many definitions of AI, though in practice we, we're we're talking about the combination of the power of data science and large quantities of health data together with uh, innovations in computing and software. Before considering AI in healthcare, it may help the audience to just think about how AI assistants are already an integral part of our daily lives. You know, such as the fitness watch on my wrist that I couldn't live without, you know, everyone's personalized social media, uh, you know, the movie and music recommendations that we all live by, the in-car navigation that comes with, you know, every car that, that we buy today, you know, booking at this time of year, you know, booking travel and holidays. Uh, if you have teenage uh, kids, you know, online gaming with all kinds of realistic simulations, you know, taking a picture of a bird or a flower when you're out walking and then you can go into something like Google Lens and find out what that bird or flower is, you know, within seconds and you know, so on and so forth. So if you kind of take the same underlying technologies, and that's really important, the same underlying technologies behind all of those things that I've just mentioned that we're all used to and apply them to healthcare, the possibilities become very, very exciting. 
you can think about enhancing the accuracy of patient diagnosis and prognosis. We can accelerate drug discovery and device design. We can optimize the planning and management of clinical trials. We can advance personalized medicine, which is a really exciting area. There's surgical planning using virtual reality, augmented reality and simulation. There's robotic surgery that's with us today, you know, and the transformation in patient experience, the transformation in healthcare provider experience, uh, you know, that's, that's really exciting. And some of these solutions are already with us in some form in healthcare. Now, maybe you can uh, give us some specific examples about future developments and things where artificial intelligence can actually, you know, make an impact. Sure, uh, that's that's another great question. To to give the audience a clearer sense of those exciting possibilities, maybe I can share three different examples from public of publicly available information. Now, there's the early detection of cognitive impairment, which I think is you know a huge area, and if like myself your family's been affected in some way by some form of dementia, dementia. you know, you, you can know that there are novel digital health solutions that are being developed that combine the latest advances in AI and neuroscience and take data from standard cognitive tests. So these, these are cognitive tests that have been developing for some time now. And they take the metrics from these tests and then they use machine learning to extensively analyze for small changes in patient brain health. And that's, that's a huge area, massive, massive area. We also have AI in, in drug discovery. Uh, now globally, and I'm, you know, I'm talking globally, I'm talking right across you know, industry at large uh, and, and delivery of healthcare at large, around 10% of drugs in the research and development process are eventually brought to market. And you know, it benefits everybody if we improve those numbers. Every stakeholder benefits if we improve those numbers. And in terms of R&D, it's essential to quickly identify which compounds don't work as much as it's important to discover new therapies. Now, if I can use the example of AlphaFold, and I'm kind of hoping that that word is in some way familiar with your audience, but, but even if it isn't, it, it's, it's a partnership between Google DeepMind, which, which I, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks do know, and the EU Bioinformatics Institute. Now, I'm relying on most folks having, you know, a, a distant memory of their chemical, the chemistry classes uh, at school. But basically, it's all about proteins. Uh, and, you know, we, we develop proteins through amino acids. And without getting too technical, it's all about how things fold together. And, you know, that's, that's the simplest way of explaining the mechanism behind amino acids and, and proteins. And basically, when that folding stops, that determines the, the kind of final shape, if you will. That determines what the protein does. And if I can talk about that in, in, in real terms, if you take something like hemoglobin, which is the protein in our blood, your blood, my blood, which carries mm. oxygen all around our body, that contains 600 amino acids, which, you know, so you have a lot of folding going on. Uh, AlphaFold uses machine learning techniques to extensively study existing protein structures. And then that way it can predict, you know, new protein structures, you know, with new amino acid combinations, you know, so on and so forth. Now currently, and this is where that partnership really comes into, into play, AlphaFold, the database provides open access to over 200 million protein structure predictions, which accelerate research for everybody who wants to access it. And, you know, that, that's really exciting in drug, drug discovery. 
And finally, you know, something that I can leave everybody with from an individual point of view, you have AI and patient-centered medicine. Mm. This is an AI focus on the individual. You consider cases of people who are in the kind of later stages of some, you know, possibly terminal disease, but, but very, very serious disease. You know, is it possible to find safer techniques to test different therapies on a specific person that can at least extend their life? You know, it, can't, it, it maybe can't cure the disease, it maybe can't cure the condition, but, you know, it can give them some extended quality of life. One such technique uses machine learning methods alongside extracting tissue from the patient, dividing that tissue into samples that contain both diseased and normal cells, and then exposing those, you know, however many samples to lots of combinations of different therapies. And then we use computer vision with that machine learning to kind of look for small changes at the microscopic level in those tissue samples to those therapies. And basically what you're doing with AI is you're really just replicating in a much, much shorter space of time with much more accuracy what doctors do today, which is, you know, just trying out different things over an extended period of time. And, and it's not just time that we benefit from. We're also doing this kind of therapy without months of chemotherapy, what months of, you know, that very, very tough regime that, that you know, has, a, you know, has an adverse effect as much as it has a therapeutic effect. And hopefully, hopefully those examples are, are what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, this is basically we're navigating new ground here. And also the, the fact that you can experiment and you can address these problems for an individual, the individualized aspect of all of these potential solutions is, is just mind boggling. Um, but Gordon, I want to stay with you on, on the topic because you mentioned the word the word data and, and sampling uh, numerous times throughout your, your, your intro. Um, and data science has been a topic we've already discussed in previous episodes of, of, of this podcast. But I want to, again, highlight the importance of data. And Gordon, what are the biggest challenges when we talk about data science in healthcare? Because there, I guess this is one of the, the trickiest uh, components, no? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and uh, you know it's a multi-stakeholder conversation, and hopefully, and 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 the answer I give you, you know, everybody gets a sense of that. And I want to stay grounded in the previous question as well, and hopefully, hopefully, I'm able to do that. It's really about access, you know. It's a question of access, and you know, it's access to high-quality health data, you know. And I used the word, you know, massive data sets in the previous answer. It's high-quality health data at scale, you know. That that's the challenge, and again. It's not just a challenge for industry and, and research and development. You know, it's it's a multi-stakeholder challenge because everybody wants to get, you know, that benefit from from high quality health data. When I mean high, what I mean by high high quality, you know, it's data that's sufficiently representative of some patient population that's you know specific to the the disease or specific to the health condition. You know, in a, in some fair and unbiased condition, and you know. Uh, that we're not going to go into the details of that today, but hopefully that's that's understandable to the audience. And and this can also mean sufficiently representing the variation in clinical practice, as as well as getting data from patients. And and by that I mean, you know, you want to be able to collect from multiple entities. You want to be able to collect from your different hospitals, different regions, you know, across across Europe. And when we talk about health data, it's it's very very important for me to get across that we're talking about secondary use of healthcare. Uh, for healthcare research and innovation, you know, so it's it's not, you know, we're not talking about primary health records here, you know, it's aggregated data, it's about populations, it's about finding patterns, it's about looking for things, you know, in data using, you know, AI and machine learning that we otherwise wouldn't detect 
you know, using our normal, you know, human abilities. Uh, and again, it's secondary data. It meets, you know, it's got to meet the requirements of the GDPR. It's got to protect fundamental rights, you know, so on and so forth. So we're not, we're not getting away from the protections and the controls that we have today. It's just getting, you know, a more mature access space, you know, for sharing data, uh, you know, very correctly and, and, and very successfully. Now, the reality is that data sharing for secondary use in healthcare research and innovation isn't a mature space. And, and it's not a mature space for very reasonable historical reasons. You know, some are societal reasons, some are technical, and, and you know, obviously some are regulatory. And bearing in mind that we're, you know, we're having this conversation today while the European health data space regulation is very much a current conversation. And the intent, mm. the intent behind that regulation, you know, unleashing the full potential of health data, you know, that that is a, that is the question. And you know, from an industry perspective, obviously that's very welcome. And and many of my colleagues like myself are participating in various industry groups to provide effective feedback on that text, you know, to the parliament. Because enabling and encouraging access to high quality health data for secondary use is is beneficial to everyone. And it's essential for the future of innovative healthcare. You know, go back to those examples I just gave you. Those don't happen successfully, or they don't happen as quickly as we'd like them to, unless we can, you know, continue to drive that, you know, improving data access. And again, it's about ensuring high quality standards of quality, but also ensuring high standards of safety of medical devices and, and, and future innovative therapies. And all stakeholders, and again, I go back to that point, all stakeholders need the rules for data access and data sharing to be harmonized and applied, you know, to all healthcare actors equally across Europe. And again, you know, really, really important to, you know, emphasize the collective here. And, mm. you know, it's going back to the GDPR, you know, it's going to be a very comprehensive regulation, the European health data space. It has to be clear and workable, you know, the interplay with the GDPR. Everybody has to have a clear understanding of the rights and obligations, you know, all parties, in the system that, that, that arises from that regulation. Date holders, controllers, processes, and obviously patients have to have confidence. Mm. And, a, um, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Before before we, we jump into talking about regulation and all the all the nitty-gritty, uh, Gordon, I want to stay with you just just for, for a minute longer and tap into your technical expertise and vast experience. Um, right now there's a lot of talk about uh, generative AI and foundational models. Um, maybe you can you can walk us through how how is this relevant when you talk about uh, healthcare, especially when you talk about large uh, learning models. Absolutely, this is uh, foundation models. This is the field of generative AI. You know, you, you can't have looked at your phone or watched TV or had mm. a conversation without hearing words GPT or you know Midjourney or you know OpenAI <laughs> or so on and so forth. So. Again, this is maybe the question where I have to challenge myself on the technical as much as possible. But but unlike models that we've got used to that are trained on very specific data for very clear intended uses, and I mean, typically call that narrow AI, uh, foundation models are, are much larger algorithms. And, and these are, you know, gigantic algorithms trained on, you know, I talked about massive amounts of data earlier in one of my answers, but this is like massive amounts of data times a thousand. And what we're trying to do is to learn global patterns right across the board of language, right across the board of images, right across the board of sound, so that these algorithms, these models can be applied very successfully 
to a wide range of tasks across different domains. You know, the scale of the training, the massive amounts of data involved in developing foundation models means that the training requires large amount of computing resources and energy usage. And, you know, these are, these are some of the watchouts. And it also means that only big tech, because of the, you know, the finance involved in, in getting that computing resource and using that amount of energy, it means only big tech companies and major AI labs can really play a, you know, a major role in, in foundation models. We view the rapid emergence in, in the context of the Developing AI Act, and you can think about it that way. You know, this is how fast it's moved. When the Draft Act first came out in April 2021, there was literally no mention of generative AI and foundation models, not, nothing at all. Now, two years later, there's specific there's a specific article on foundation models and multiple mentions through the text of the act. So that gives you, you know, an idea of the rate of, of advance. Many of the major providers have been calling out publicly to be regulated, you know, albeit with, with several mm. caveats, as you might expect. And, and to be fair to, to those developers, some are even starting to develop outlines for what the regulations themselves might look like. And, and we need them to do that because they, they're the only ones who fundamentally understand what's going on. However, you know, alongside that, a lot of the development in generative AI foundation models has become more secretive. You know, they, they would argue for a lot of commercial reasons. But, you know, on the other side of that, going forward to be able to keep that, you know, build that trust, build that, you know, patient buy-in, we're going to have to overcome the general lack of transparency that, that, that we have with big developers in areas such as the data that they use for training, the architectures that they're building, the techniques that they're using for training, the results they get from, you know, external parties checking what they're doing for vulnerabilities and risks. Mm. You know, and again, the computing resources they use, you know, ideally need to, you know, start coming down. And the energy they use, you know, climate change, that, that absolutely is an area of, of great focus. They're still in their early stages of development foundation models. It's not clear, you know, far from knowing what their full potential is. And I'm, I'm talking about this from, from our perspective as an industry. You know, we, we are, you know, the healthcare industry isn't developing these models. We're thinking about using them, but we're not the developers. So, you know, we, we are with, we're looking at them and looking at the, the benefits and the risks of these uh, huge advances in, in AI, you know, with the same privacy, security, and technical concerns that, you know, a lot of people listening into this podcast uh, will have. But we do believe they could be transformal, transformational in solving some of our biggest healthcare uh, problems. There's huge potential due to the capability. We can certainly expect more advances in the space before we can expect any substantial pause in their development. And you know, some people in the in, in the audience may be aware of, you know, some some really you know famous people asking for that pause. However, you know, the sheer scale of foundation models, the current lack of transparency from many of the providers means that as users, we, we have to be careful, we have to commit to extensive testing, mm. and we have to be you know very, very steady in our adoption of these solutions at any kind of scale. And hopefully, hopefully I've given a, you know, a general answer without getting too technical. Thank you. Thanks for this, Gordon. And, and here I want to I wanna bring Sanziana in this conversation. Gordon already um, mentioned a couple of important uh, pieces of legislation, the AI Act, the GDPR. And uh, Sanziana, I mean, you know, the million dollar question, million billion euro question is how to regulate AI in healthcare? Um, what kind of framework do we need so we can foster trust and, and innovation? Yeah, thank you, Dimitar. And indeed, the billion dollar question. So we think that... Um... 
the use of artificial intelligence in healthcare must be adequately regulated to not only facilitate access to this innovative, mind-blowing solutions that Gordon nicely illustrated, but also to ensure safe and ethical use. So in that sense, we definitely welcome uh, the European Union's efforts towards a first worldwide regulatory framework for artificial intelligence. Um, and we think that the global effects and implications of it will be significant. So the AI Act intends to support providers, manage the risks, and re really unlock all these benefits of using AI in healthcare. But it's, it's very broad, it's horizontal, and healthcare has some particular characteristics which need to be considered when defining, developing, and also applying the AI Act in the future. So I'll give you an example. The um, risk-benefit balance is a key concept in healthcare. And it means weighing and comparing um, the potential positive outcomes, the, the benefits of a medical treatment or, or of a procedure against the potential um, harms or negative consequences, which are the risks that, that it entails. And in healthcare, this risk is never reduced to zero. We always strive to reach the best uh, benefit-risk balance. And this concept is, is not uh, considered in the original version and proposal of the AI Act. And this is just one example of the specific characteristic of this uh, complex and delicate field of healthcare that must be considered. And, and Tanziana, talking about the AI Act, how do you see the way forward for this specific legislation? You already mentioned this. And also, it's good to um, reiterate that, for example, there is this uh, Bio uh, regulation, the medical device regulation. How does it interplay with the AI Act, and is it too complicated for us to comprehend it? How will this framework fit with all the rest relevant pieces of legislation in this field? Let me try to give you a simplified flavor of it. So, in essence, the Artificial Intelligence Act is is horizontal, and it covers any artificial intelligence system in the EU, and including healthcare and medical technology. And so in that sense, the AI Act will determine if and how medical technology will be placed on the market and reach patients. And it joins a very robust existing regulatory framework already, which addresses um, existing risks today. So for example, today um, we have um, software as a medical device, such as the kind of uh, software that provides inf medical information for diagnosis, for treatment, and this is already regulated under um, the so-called medical devices regulation. And this imposes a certain number of, of responsibilities and, and requirements, such as um, being evaluated by a notified body, which really looks into the risks um, and the benefit that it brings. It uh, ma uh, mandates a um, quality system for this uh, software and the relevant documentation and also surveillance once it is on the market. So today, this is um regulated and we are already doing this as providers for such solutions and so the ai act will come and it will play a critical role in combination with existing legislations gordon already mentioned the general data protection and i am adding the medical devices regulation here because under the ai act all medical technologies are considered high risk the ai act um, has four risk classes of uses for the ai system based on the risk it poses to to users and considers all medical technologies in the high risk class. And so it mandates a number of requirements, um, 
which are very similar and, uh, with the requirements imposed by the medical devices regulation, which means that in a future, any medical device which we bring on the market using an AI system will be subject to both requirements of the medical devices regulation and of the AI Act. And why is this of concern to us? Um, because some of the requirements which I have um, shared as an examples are very similar and at times duplicative between the AI Act and the medical devices regulation. And some of the definitions are potentially conflicting and this can lead to, to hurdles and to a very complex and difficult to navigate regulatory environment. So in order for the AI Act to, to reach its, uh, its scope, um, we need a clear uh, framework, legislative framework, which encourages innovative medical technologies to be brought on the market and which takes into consideration the already existing requirements by the EU MDR. And as long as these exist and are addressed in, in sectorial legislation, such as our medical technologies regulation, the AI Act um, should take this into account and consider them as, as fulfilled by, by providers and developers of these solutions. And the AI Act can certainly work nicely and smoothly alongside existing uh, regulation and ensure the safe and efficient use we all need. Yeah, that was my 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 my, my final thoughts to you, Sanziana. I mean, everybody talks about, everybody expects legal certainty, transparency, and, and many other keywords when I talk about the AI Act, but maybe as concluding thoughts from, from your side, um, what what are the most important keywords? What are the most important angles that you want to see uh, from your from your sector, from your company, the company you represent? How do you think, briefly, as a general you know uh, direction, uh, how can the AI Act um, um, encourage and, and and foster innovation? AI Act can certainly encourage and facilitate, again, the access of patients to, to innovative AI systems. Um, and this can be best assured through a clear, clear uh, regulatory framework, uh, clearly aligned and taking into account existing sectorial legislation, such as the EU medical devices regulation for our medical technology sector which takes already into account existing requirements, which we already fulfill and the risk we are already addressing and managing and, and reducing, um, and considers these aspects as fulfilled under the EU AI Act. Fantastic. Um, Angel, I, I want to um, also add you into this conversation because it, it touches upon more or less your everyday, everyday activities. And here I want to buzz you in and talk a, a bit about ethics maybe if you if you remember and maybe our listeners remember um all of the efforts on artificial intelligence started with the word ethics and this was considered by different international institutions but curious to me is what are the key ethical considerations of ai in healthcare because here we're treading on very very um you know sensitive grounds right yeah, no, totally, Dimitar. Um, and thank you very much for, for the invitation today to basically share something that I would say every one of us, and I would say every every of the uh, every of the persons really listening to, to this podcast today will be expecting healthcare, right? When you go into the healthcare system and you're going to be treated or any of your relatives is going to be treated, you expect them to you expect certain, I would say, standards, right? On the way you're going to be treated. And they are actually the backbone of healthcare. Uh, maybe people don't know the acronyms, but they do really exist. And every 
one involved in the healthcare um, in the in the healthcare delivery and the healthcare ecosystem will abide by those principles, which is some of them are really I would say intuitive, like um, uh, the healthcare um, should actually deliver good, right? We should benefit from that. It should not deliver harm, so that's the non-maleficence principle. But they also has very another two very interesting principles, which are called autonomy and justice. One is more about giving power to people to empower patients, each of us as a patient, to be more in control of our own health and well-being, but also justice, that we don't discriminate um, any part of society in getting access to, to that care. Now, those are four general principles in bioethics that, as I said, are very much ingrained, um, and they are really the backbone of uh, delivering tracking healthcare. Now, AI, as you can imagine, for, based on the conversation and, and some of the elements that both Santiana and Gordon were, were explaining, brings, I would say, uh, new connotations, new ways of looking at these ethical challenges. Um, we certainly see, uh, particularly from the work that has been done by the European Union, uh, but also the OECD and UNESCO, that areas which really require a lot of attention when it comes to AI, and the ethical development and use of AI is the fact of needing to avoid uh, discrimination, avoiding bias that actually lead to echo chambers, where actually we actually don't grant equal treatment and access uh, to patients. So that's a key issue there. Um, another important element is, is what's really the oversight that humans will have on these systems, right? Because there is a fundamental uh, relationship of trust between the doctor and the patient. How that AI system is helping or not that relationship of trust. And we certainly believe there is huge potential actually in empowering doctors and patients in that relationship. We, we need to be mindful that uh, there might be also unintended consequences when we put an AI system into play. So therefore, all these are really key considerations um, that right now I would say uh, not only the industry, but certainly governments and healthcare providers are thinking of. Um, and in that respect, one element which is essential, um, and I think it's also very much ingrained in what Gordon was explaining is, we need to have a very holistic approach, not only to any healthcare technology, but I would say particularly with AI. Why? Because we right now have a technology which comes with a lot of promise, but also important questions. And it actually has accountability across a very long value chain. What I mean is that there are many stakeholders that maybe were not typically included in, in the healthcare industry um, that are gonna, gonna have a very important role, a, a very big impact in the way actually healthcare is delivered because there will be AI developers, uh, there will be AI deployers, there will be AI users, and there will be those who will benefit from the final outcomes of AI. So it's a very long value chain where you could also uh, obviously those who regulate and have the oversight of that. So we believe that collaboration across that entire value chain is critical. In the end, is what we typically call um, that collaboration in healthcare is a team sport. So we think in AI is no less. Actually, we need even more of that. Absolutely, um, and maybe on a, on, a, on a final note, let's not get stuck in the um, only the, on the Brussels conversation, Brussels side of the conversation. Maybe Angel, we can we can zoom out a bit and maybe we can elaborate a bit more on what's the international dimensions of artificial intelligence and AI regulation in in the months and years to come. 
no, that's a great question, Dimitar, because I think the reality is that um, I would say there are no no barriers to, to internet, to data, and I would say even to AI, right? Uh, many of these AI systems are not necessarily coming from the EU. They get used and they get maybe further developed and applied in the EU, but they are coming also from other regions in the world. Therefore, that international collaboration is critical. When it comes to healthcare also, um, research, development, innovation is an international activity. Uh, and actually that international collaboration is, is extremely important. Therefore, um, we believe that actually finding common grounds, common understanding between, uh, between all the key regions in the world is gonna be, is gonna be essential to foster innovation, to foster a better understanding, but also a better um, and safer uh, use of AI technology. Um, now the OECD started this work uh, already years ago uh, putting a framework with principles on uh, on key considerations on AI, very much similar to what I was explaining before around ethics. Um, but they were also building, uh, I would say, uh, frameworks for governments that belong to the OECD or not, beyond the OECD as well, um, where they could actually put policies that will foster a sustainable use of AI. Um, and that includes elements which are really critical, such as skills, capabilities, computing power. Um, but I would say uh, more importantly, how do we regulate AI? How do we address AI? And this is really critical because as I said, uh, collaboration on AI needs to happen internationally. But if we find, I would say, fragmented or heterogeneous regulatory frameworks around the world, that collaboration may be actually hindered. It might be really difficult for people to collaborate across regions. So therefore, um, we believe it's really extremely important that actually governments uh, have more conversations, more dialogue, and more cooperation to bring interoperability of regulations. So what I mean really is that one regulation can speak to another. And therefore, um, I would say practitioners, users, tech companies, health tech companies, but also healthcare providers can collaborate um, across borders, no? because certainly I would say the promise that AI has in healthcare really is calling on us all to really work harder and try to look beyond any boundaries. So for me, that collaboration, and as I said, uh, not only at the OECD, but between the EU, the US, I would also say we need to think of, of Japan, we need to think of China. I think there are big considerations and that international collaboration is gonna be critical for, for the sustainable future in AI. All right, that's a, that's a great takeaway in the end. Interoperability of, of uh, regulation and hopefully um, the EU uh, having a central role in this in this conversation and this future future efforts. Um, Hells and Ziana Gordon, thank you so much for this for this conversation. Um, in, in the weeks before the AI Act is, is, is finally closed. Uh, dear friends, thanks for joining Brussels Bytes. We are less than a year from the European Parliament elections, so exciting times ahead and stay tuned to Brussels Bites. That was today's episode of Brussels Bites. Follow us on SoundCloud for more.